You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Greetings and welcome to Domecast. I'm Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell. And our first segment is about the Electoral College, which everybody has been hearing a lot about, maybe doesn't always know what it actually is. It's a process, not a place, as I believe it was the National Archives explained. Um, and I did a recent explainer story about, about how that works in the state. Um, so let's talk about um, who electors are. And we should, act, once once the votes are in, we'll actually see the list of, of who the electors are. Yeah, how do you get to be one? I'm, I'm curious. That seems like a fun title to have. Um, it's sort of like the... Um, if you're playing um, Don't Cast Bingo, where I mention Order of the Longleaf Pine, um, it's up there with... Very prestigious. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's not... So I actually, I did see the list of the Republicans. I'd asked both... So basically, the way it works is each party, including Green and Constitution, Libertarian, everyone that has a candidate on the ballot, you come up with your 15 electors and alternates, and you send that letter to the Secretary of State, and once the election is decided, you know, the governor proclaims it, and they actually have to advertise in the... At the time this was written, the multiple uh, daily newspapers in Raleigh. And... Um, how do you advertise in the Raleigh Times now? Do you just get go to the bar and stick a <laughs> poster on the bulletin board? I think you have to wear a sandwich board or something. <laughs> I think Raleigh Times, like, I, I wonder how much I would go there if it wasn't um, called the Raleigh Times, if it was just something else. I mean, I like it anyway. It's good, but um, also totally biased for something that, that used to be in There newspaper. are newspapers on the wall. How can you, not, can you not love it? I know, right? I mean, and all of it, you know, and then the morning time, like, I love that place. I actually have, I think I've bought the mug, like, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's great. I'll, I'll take a, a quick, really quick sidetrack. Um, of course, it used to be a newspaper, I think it was owned by the NNO at one point, or it was the afternoon paper, the morning newspaper, um, but my old Herald Sun editor, Bob Ashley, worked there in the 60s. And um, also worked with Salzburg, the New York Times publisher. So he was down here, or the kid, I guess, of one of the Salzburgs um, um, some, some many decades ago. But anyway, that's the, the Raleigh Times um, historical sidetrack for, for this episode. Uh, but the way you get picked is that um, the party convention is when they name them. And it's people that are named, if you're really into the party for a long time, you'll recognize um, f familiar names on the list. If you're not, pro probably not. So I'd asked both the Republicans and Democrats for their list, didn't hear back from the Democrats, but the Republicans sent me theirs. And it was a long one, the 15 and, and plenty of alternates, because the way it works is that, um, and the way our state law works is that you have to vote the way the election goes. There's no there's no choice in the matter. And if you say, nah, I'm gonna pass, well, that's when the alternate comes through. Um, so that's why they have that long list. And I talked to one of the Republican electors, um, I wanna say her name was Mills, Susan Mills. Uh, of course, I'm not looking at my story this, this very second, but about um, what it's like to, to be one. And she said that um, she had been one before on the list before, but they didn't win that year. So basically, if you if your team doesn't win, then um, too bad. You don't get called up. Um, but if they do, then then you get to be part of it. Um, and um, so I guess if, if North Carolina, when the final votes in, is officially called for for Trump, then um, then she would be one of those that vote. But it's a it's a cool ceremony um, for that story I had done. I, I watched 
um, a previous ceremony, and the Secretary of State is in charge of it, which is Elaine Marshall, who just I mean, she gets to have a role in elections. Uh, I thought her Twitter bio was like, "I don't have any role in elections. Leave me alone." I know it's funny, but she does get to. So basically, the Secretary of State's role, which they don't have a, a huge amount of things to do in North Carolina, um, is that you get to plan and decide what the ceremony is going to be. So when she was the first woman elected to Council of State in the '96, I want to say she said that. Um, you know, people, she was under extra scrutiny. And so she decided to really bring it to like everything that she did. And that included um, the electoral college vote. So really the way the general statutes have it lined out is it can be, um, it, you know, there's certain rules of how you vote and everything. And so she added the pomp and circumstance to it. So it has to be in the old Capitol building, which is super cool um, since everyone likes that building. Of course, the downside is that it was, I want to say built in the 1840s. Um, and she said there's a slight incline um, which is hard for people to have walking issues. If you, if anyone is listening to this is, is older, has knee problems, or is a family member that does. And um, I know I've walked with, you know, like um, my grandparents and, and you need that, st that slight incline is really hard to do because it's not like a step. And especially if you don't have a cane or anything. So aside from that being in there, it's not, it's not the most ideal, um, um, you know, updated uh, physical facility, but it is nice for pomp and circumstance because the furniture and everything is fancy and much more so than the legislative building. Um, so she has uh, youth groups come, um, usually, you know, a high school, um, high school chorus will sing and, and there'll be the color guard and all these things and, and 4-H because that was something she benefited from um, in her youth. And so that's what Marshall told me um, that she likes to involve everybody in it. And that that's not in the general statute. You can there are certain things you have to do for the ceremony, um, which is December 14th, by the way. And that is for everybody, not just North Carolina. Um, and as I said the beginning, it's a process, not a place. And each state does it a little bit differently as far as how they have that voting ceremony. Um, but that uh, that's the setup. So I don't know. They will have it in person this year. Um, I would love to cover it. I don't know if I'm going to cover it yet. Um, but um, yeah, I wonder yeah. if they're going to have to get rid of some of the pomp and circumstances because the, I mean, I guess you can easily space out, was it we have 15 electors uh, in, a, in the house chamber of the old Capitol, but if you add some like marching bands or choruses or something, that might be a little, little tight space for a pandemic. Yeah, well, you have all the guests too. So I was watching the 2016 one and I was scanning every, the crowd trying to see like who, and I recognized our, uh, our, our news friend, Jonah Kaplan from ABC 11. And um, I want to see, I saw one other council of state member, Beth Wood was there and th there's a little bit of people from each from each branch and then party people. I saw Dallas Woodhouse there with um, one of one of his kids that uh, recognized in the um, in the crowd. So there's a lot of people that want to come. And Marshall told me that even in a regular year, that room is packed with people. Um, so you have all the party people, you have all the electors, the electors families, the alternates, the the media, and, and it's pretty crowded. So this year. She said they're doing it in person. She feels like, you know, that's what they, they have to do, but it'll be um, much, much fewer people that'll, and the music, she did tell me that there will be music. Um, she wouldn't tell me from what school or anything like that, um, but she said it'll be, um, it'll be recorded. So they won't be there, but she didn't want to tell me the other stuff. I think she's got a few things up her sleeve for um, how, I, I thought that was kind of, uh, yeah, kind of cool. One ceremony your office gets to organize, you might as well, yeah. you know make make it a spectacle as best you can yeah i would totally like yeah 
if I was Secretary of State, that would be one of my favorite roles. I would I would ratchet that thing like way way up. So why not? You know why yeah. not? And she and part of it I think she was saying is that um, you know this is something you know very important that North Carolina gets to do, and why not make it um, a big deal? It already is a big deal, but why not really give it that um, um, that level of, of attention and then you know involving young people in the process? I think. Um, those of us that are parents or just remember being, you know, a kid and a teenager, um, that's a kind of a lifetime memory and, and it'll make you think about it down the road. So I, I would yeah. like to think. Yeah, that I remember as a kid, you hear about the electoral college and you're picturing like, do they have <laughs> professors or like, how does this work? What, how does this even make sense? Like, uh, so it's, it's fun to have that as an educational experience. So people learn like how the election process works in it's, it's quirky sort of way. Yeah, I'm sure that like the kids that have been in that or the teenagers, uh, you know, can make that their, um, you know, their some high school class uh, project presentation or something. I'm, I'm sure they'd put it on their, um, you know, their college application. That's that's one thing for sure. So anyway, December 14th, it's um, look at my calendar real quick here as we're talking Monday. Um, and I believe at noon, um, what well, I need noon Eastern, I guess, or noon, depending on, on where you are. So that makes it official. Um, and it's really, it's, it's ceremonial, but it, it, you know, the U S government and state government is a lot about ceremony and that's, and that's part of it. And it's also a little boring, you know, and, and that's good too, because, you know, the part of the reason I think that government moves so slowly is, um, so it's more of a, I'm looking in the optimistic way here, uh, a methodical process to, to getting things done. They don't all have, all 15 of them don't give speeches about how much they love Trump before they vote the way they would if this was like a legislative session. I wonder if they could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just thinking, man, that'll be a future Domecast. But the, um, you know, when the legislature comes back like January 13th, the, all the, the points of personal privilege, like carrying on about stuff. Um, for that opening session, that that'll be fun. So, so now it's a little shorter for the uh, electoral um, college ceremony, but I did watch the entire one, which is on the, um, I think it was on the Secretary of State website, um, and I didn't watch the other one because that was a lot for, for, for background. <laughs> a lot of circumstance from, from the yeah. You can love you can love government and government ceremonies, and also like acknowledge that you know things things can also be a little dry or, or aspects of them. So, so that's uh, that's my take on the on the electoral college. You, you got any thoughts about it? Well, I, I will note that I guess we get um, probably by the next election, we'll have another elector because it's based on how many seats in Congress you have. Right. Um, and North Carolina right. is pretty widely considered we'll have a 14th member of Congress once uh, the next census results come through and we do another round of redistricting. So uh, someone else gets to have the joy of being an elector in uh, 2024. Yeah, you have like the basically the two at large and then 13 um, and they pick them from I, they don't don't believe they're required by statute, but that's the way the two major parties do it is they, um, they pick an elector from, from each congressional district, which is, um, kind of a cool thing and exciting for, um, for those local party officials. So I'm sorry, sure they're planning their, uh, red, white, and blue attire for that, uh, for that ceremony now, or their red, white, and blue masks that they'll wear at the, at the same time. So. All right. Well, that's about it for our first segment on the Electoral College. Uh, we'll be back in a second with uh, more people and a new topic.
Hi again, this is Don Vaughn here with Colin Campbell. And this segment, we've got Chiara Versaloni and Danielle Battaglia for this focus that we're doing on recounts and what that would look like in North Carolina, um, what has been done, what can be done. Um, and we're really right in the middle of, you know, as you all are listening to this potential for, for how that's going to pan out. So Chiara and Danielle, um, if one of you wants to start off telling us where are we right now with just the, the status of counting and, and how a, a recount might work in North Carolina? We're in it right now. <laughs> um, I have a meeting on the side of our podcasting right now watching Wig County Board of Elections uh, count votes, which is going to be done by the end of the day for all 100 counties. Um, but what I'm seeing, and Kiara can probably expand on a little bit more, is there are several races still within recount range. So we're looking at um, the chief justice for the Supreme Court. They, I think they just flipped back and forth while we've been talking. Um, so there's Paul Newby, who is on the Supreme Court as a justice. And there is uh, Sherry Beasley, who is the C Supreme Court chief justice. And um, Newby was leading up until last night. Um, but like by the smallest of margins, as of probably 20 minutes ago, there was 44 votes between them. And I believe they have flipped back. Um, and then the attorney general's race, Josh Stein has been leading. He's our incumbent attorney general. Um, he's been leading since Tuesday night. But Jim O'Neill, who is the Forsyth County uh, district attorney, has been keeping a pretty tight um, range, too, where he could ask for a recount. So I think those are the two big races that people need to be watching. What decides whether or not there can be a recount? And, and does that differ on, on the race and the state? Kiara, do you know? Yeah, so the recount really varies under what Board of Elections has um, jurisdiction over that race. So if it's under the, election, the state election board, um, it has to be the difference between the two candidates needs to be 0.5% uh, or 10,000 votes, which is not necessarily all that much. But if it's a county race, um, that needs to be a, there is more leeway. There's a 1% difference. Um, and after today, the canvas uh, candidates have until either Monday, if it's a county race, um, or Tuesday, if it's under the state election board to request to demand that recount, right? And that recount will actually happen between that either Monday or Tuesday and November 24th. So there is really a long time, I think, until we actually get a final decisive vote of who wins it, just because there are so many days for that re for those recounts to happen. How often does a recount really change races? Pretty infrequently, I think. I remember we had a recount in 2016 that affected Durham County, because if you remember that election, that was where uh, Governor Pat McCrory was raising a lot of questions about um, how uh, election night votes came in really late in Durham County. They'd had some some types of glitches in the vote counting process. Um, and so there was a recount requested there. And I, if I remember that race collect, uh, correctly, right as they were finishing the recount, it was becoming really clear that there wasn't much change uh, at all in terms of the, the vote tallies, that's when McCrory conceded. So um, it's, I guess we're pretty rare for them to find large enough irregularities to change a race. Uh, but certainly in this chief justice race, if the margin is still 
I think 50 or 60 votes was what I saw a little while ago. That's probably subject to change throughout the day and before we even post this. But um, if it stays super close in that race, then, you know, maybe it's a situation where a couple of dozen votes one way or the other might sway things. But it really it does have to be a really razor thin margin for a recount to typically uh, change the outcome uh, of the original process. So do you all think it's a matter of, you know, they think they have a chance? Is it... um... You know, as as on the national stage, a form of political theater, um, depending on on what you want to show your supporters. What do you all think that um, really the motivation is for that? Uh, as far as if they if they really think it's going to happen, if it's making sure, what are the different factors at play? Well, I feel like this year is a little bit different because there are so many calls for like fraudulent voting and uh, controversy just with our election in general. We've had different rule changes because of COVID-19. We've had different, um, just voting in general has been different. The campaigns have been different. I remember, I'm not going to name the race because my numbers may be off, but I covered a recount. I want to say there was 11 votes between two candidates. And I think for that, like that's small enough that you want to make sure those 11 votes were for you or not for you um, and make sure that that was followed. I think with the bigger margins, you know, it could be a little both. They want to make a statement. They want to show their supporters that they're fighting till the bitter end, or, you know, they want to make sure that they genuinely lost or won. And I have to agree with Danielle on that as well. Um, candidates are allowed to ask for a second recount. Um, if the first recount shows a difference, um, a new winner per se, uh, they are allowed to ask for a second recount and that process would even take even longer. Um, so I agree with Danielle that I think that this year is extremely different in the sense of um, if the difference between votes is 40 or 50 votes, like in the um, race that we were just talking about, I do think that it's going to be more about, oh, well, I'm fighting until the end and how many of those votes are actually um, legal, quote unquote. So I, yeah. It'll be interesting to see the recount process play out in the next couple of weeks. Danielle, you've covered court some. What's really the role of the chief justice other than, I mean, they're they're still on it. It's just a matter, is it is it just you, you're the public face more, that you have a different role in decision-making and rulings? I think uh, Chief uh, Justice Beasley has shown actually how much goes into her role because she not only leads the Supreme Court, but she leads the judicial system for North Carolina. And if you've been following that system at all this year, um, she's had to make a lot of decisions about how to conduct court during a pandemic. So um, since I want to say March, it may have been a little bit earlier, she had been putting out um, directives of like whether we have jury trials or whether we're even allowing courthouses to be open. And what kind of mandates will be in there, like whether they're going to do temperature screenings or have nurses on staff or have face masks and hand sanitizers. You've seen her like take the reins a lot this year. Um, I think with former Chief Justice uh, Mark Martin, he he um, had basically conducted this like overview of the entire court system and figured out what was working and what wasn't working and made mandates from there. So their role is actually pretty big in a larger scheme than just the Supreme Court, just looking at the different elements of court in general. 
All right. Any last thoughts before we go to headliner of the week? I will jump in as far as the uh, NC Supreme Court race. I think that the reason we're going to see so much interest in this um, comes down to the future of redistricting. Uh, I was talking to State Senator Wiley Nickel, a Democrat from Wake County a week or so ago about the election results. And with the Democrats failing to win um, a majority in the legislature, uh, their sense is that with Republicans drawing the maps, they're concerned that there's going to be another round of gerrymandered maps. Um, and they plan to pretty much immediately challenge that in court. And I asked uh, Senator Nickel about the, the process for that. And he said, they're gonna probably go for state courts, which to me makes sense because in the federal court system, you've got a lot of uh, conservative judicial appointments, um, folks who might be more inclined to, to side with the Republican lawmakers. Um, but the North Carolina Supreme Court, uh, which would be the final uh, arbiter of, uh, or at least at the state level of, of any state level challenge or state constitutional challenge to redistricting maps um, in its current form is uh, six Republican or six Democrats and one Republican. Um, one of those seats has been flipped already with uh, the Mark Davis um, seat uh, he lost to i believe it was tamara Beringer. Uh, so that seat flips republican if the chief justice seat flips then it's four to three still a democratic majority um but a more narrow one um and so that that could have some bearing on how redistricting challenges play out in the state so i think that's why you're going to see a lot of energy and resources going into recounts and, and any other challenges that come out of that race all right so uh next up we'll have headliner colin if you want to pull up last year's poll last year it feels so time man <laughs> last week's poll <laughs> i know that i was tied the last time i checked <laughs> uh yeah it is it's a tie result uh you know in keeping with the close elections uh, that perfect. we're seeing this, this year um it's a tie between lieutenant governor elect mark robinson's win at 33.3% and lawmakers at Food Lion at 33.3%. Both of those beating out legislative race spending and alcohol elections, which were tied for second or third place or however you'd consider that. So uh, very, very close results on that one. So congrats to whoever put in those those two tied candidates. My, mine was Food Lion, so I got to pull that one. But it was quoting uh, Speaker Moore, so the credit is his. <laughs> All right, Colin, you go in first for headliner. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in first. Um, uh, my candidate for headliner this week is uh, Country Club Assistance. Um, I wrote about uh, if you remember this uh, legislative session back in September, uh, they allocated a total of about sixty million dollars to what are called job retention grants, uh, basically a, another way of trying to help out uh, businesses that have been struggling due to the economic effects of the pandemic. Um, and there was a big concern at the time that uh, the way that had been structured, because it required you not to have had more than 10% of your pre-COVID workforce laid off, that it was not going to really help the businesses that were forced to shut down or businesses like restaurants that have had major impacts on how they're operating and how they're allowed to operating. Um, and so when the list of 400 or so recipients came out um, in the last couple of weeks, um, there weren't many restaurants on there. Um, although I guess in some sense, country clubs have restauranty components um, and country clubs were uh, at least 20 of them were recipients of, of this. So uh, made up um, nearly, I think, 10% of the uh, final total, about $5 million worth of uh, federal COVID money uh, through the state program going to uh, country clubs specifically, along with uh, some, some pretty large uh, out-of-state corporations that applied for these. Uh, so maybe not quite what uh, lawmakers had in mind, but uh, certainly good news for people who run country clubs. All right. Um... I'm going to go with, with this week's big thing was I'm 
Thanksgiving ungatherings because phase three was extended, which I think was a surprise to absolutely nobody, given um, what's uh, going on with coronavirus in the state and country. Um, But the more of the news was that the indoor gathering limit was reduced from 25 to 10. And and I highly doubt that anyone is going to knock on your door and say, you've got 11 people, you're in big trouble. But um, it's a way of um, trying to sway, you know, public health decisions and people having smaller groups for Thanksgiving. So Thanksgiving ungatherings, really like the advice is like, don't do it in person at all. If you are, you know, no more than 10 or your mask, like sit at the table with your own immediate household or six feet apart outside if you can. Um, and really, I mean, the more people actually follow that guidance is the sooner that we can stop doing remote everything. And, um, and get back to life again. Um, so that's my headliner of the week, Thanksgiving ungatherings. Danielle? I am going to go with the uncalled races. Um, you know, we talked about attorney general and um, Supreme Court justice, but we're also actually still waiting for North Carolina to call their pick for president, which is looking like it's most likely going to be President Trump. Um, and it no longer really matters to America, what we decide, but I think for North Carolinians, it's still interesting. And um, I think all eyes are going to be on the other two races waiting to see who is going to be part of our Council of State. So I'm going with that. All right, Kiara, that leaves you. You're up. Um, I think the one of the most important things this week is just the recount elections um, and really how they played out already. Um, how many candidates and people have already challenged some of the results, even today coming in um, uh, before the canvas. So I think that was something really interesting after spending the entire week learning and talking about recounts. I think that that was really my top choice. Okay, great. All right. For Chiara Versaloni, Danielle Battaglia, Colin Campbell, I'm Don Vaughn. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to The Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the Daily Print Edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com.